Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter, here with the post-draft episode of Breaking Big Blue. And right now, I'm taking the, the temperature of the room out there. You Giants fans are hot. I mean, you're out there barking. I mean, you are not happy. And it all stems, we all know, from the selection of Daniel Jones. Number six overall, they followed that up with defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence at 17 and then traded back into the first round, which makes me scratch my head a little bit, for cornerback DeAndre Baker out of Georgia. And we'll get to the other picks later. And really what I'm going to do here mostly in this episode is I'm going to empty my notebook for you, right? I have this draft notebook filled with little nuggets all over the place. And especially on the quarterbacks, I did a lot of research on the quarterbacks because, look, the Giants needed a quarterback. Now, if I told you before the draft that the Giants would take a quarterback in the first round, I don't see how people would be going nuts and how people would be upset and crazy and going, oh, they messed up this franchise. The franchise is screwed. They're going to be bad for a decade. Gettleman, no worse. But they managed to do it. And this is where the Giants are at this point. They just don't seem to be able to get anything right. And to add insult to injury now, one of their late-round picks, six-round pick cornerback Corey Ballantyne out of Washburn, he was shot the next morning after he was drafted. So we'll see what kind of comes from that. Hopefully he's all right. Uh, but another one of his Washburn teammates was killed in the shooting. A terrible, Just a terrible story. That's where the, the Giants are right now. Nothing is going right for them. Uh, hopefully, though, Corey Ballantyne's right now. Now let's get back to... The business at hand, the football side, with Daniel Jones, okay? Here's my thing with the, the whole Daniel Jones selection. I know a lot of people say you could have, they could have got him at 17, uh, and Dave Gettleman comes out, and so I know for a fact there's two teams and reporters out there saying, or a reporter out there saying, it's the Broncos and Redskins, they were the two teams. Maybe the Giants thought those were the two teams. But those were not. Those two teams were not going to draft Daniel Jones. So maybe the Giants, maybe there's other team out there. Nobody ever knows what the Bengals are doing. They're a complete crapshoot. The Dolphins, maybe. I heard they like Daniel Jones. I don't think they would have taken him in that 13 spot after talking to people. But you never know. So for me, philosophically alone, forget the player. The, you like a quarterback. You have picks 6 and 17. Just take your stinking quarterback at 6. I've been big on this. And that's what the Giants did in this case. So I have no problem with that there. Sure, maybe they could have played it better. They could have taken Josh Allen, who they loved, 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 loved at six, and they really wanted him on their roster. Uh, but they just weren't willing, and maybe ownership wasn't willing, to pass on a quarterback and potentially put themselves in a situation where they don't get their quarterback. But I think in the more realistic option for the Giants should have been, you take Josh Allen at six. You take pick 17 and you move up into that 9, 10 range, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 range, and you get your quarterback. If you're worried about the Broncos at 10, move up to 9. Who cares if you have to give up some extra picks? It's for your quarterback. You do it. You make it happen. So very feasibly, the Giants could have Josh Allen and Daniel Jones on their roster right now, and I think everyone would be happy with that. In that regard, I get it. And I agree. They didn't maximize their draft capital. They didn't maximize their their potential and their, what, what they could have gotten. 
They could have done a little better, probably. They probably could have made it happen. But philosophically, you'd want that quarterback to just go get him. I'm fine with that. I'm totally on board with that. The question here, and this is what we're going to be talking about for years now, is the evaluation. Because that's what people are upset about. Daniel Jones, they liked Haskins. Haskins is better. Uh, Daniel Jones is not the guy. He's He doesn't have a good arm. He's He's been bad at Duke. He's not good enough. And I get it. Not a huge Daniel Jones fan as a prospect. Now there's potential. I've spoken to some people who do like him. And they do think he's a good player. But, right, there's a big but. There's the other side of that. There's people that don't love him. That don't think he's a stud prospect. That don't think he's a slam dunk, no-brainer, franchise quarterback. The guy who's going to take over for Eli Manning. Then you throw in the why fans are upset. The whole he looks and just the whole he is Eli Manning and you know he acts like him and you know that just David Cutcliffe that whole connection there is his Duke coach who has the connection to Eli and those would be the wrong reasons to take him. The connections to the Manning family. The connections to Cutcliffe. That's an easy connect the dots for somebody that's upset. And that's fine. I get it. You're upset. But let's just hope that the Giants' decision to draft Daniel Jones at 6 had nothing to do with that. Now, let's get back to the evaluations. And everybody's sitting there saying, Dwayne Haskins basically threw as many touchdown passes this past season at Ohio State that Daniel Jones threw... In his three years at Duke, clearly not apples and apples. We know they're not the same team, the same talent levels, the same coaching. And I know David Cutcliffe is supposed to be this absolute genius, but Ryan Day at at Ohio State is also known to be a very good quarterback coach. So let me just tell you what I did, okay? I talked to five evaluators, some executives, a GM, a coach, a couple scouts, and I had them rank the quarterbacks for me. The top four quarterbacks. So we're talking about Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones. And pretty much all all of them said they thought Kyler Murray was the best. From there, you got mixed results. You got one person who thought Jones was second, two people who thought Jones was third, one guy who thought Jones was fourth. That's four, actually. Where's, where's the fifth? Oh, this one had him third. So two seconds, two thirds, and one fourth. Okay, so there's the five. I'm going through my notebook right now. Nobody thought he was the best, but there's a, some here, – here's some here's some of the quotes. I'm just going to unload the notebook here. Ready? Some snippets. Uh, fairly high ceiling. So that's that's a positive right there. Good decision maker. Another positive. Didn't raise level of play. Now, this is the one that really sticks out to me, and it kind of sticks to me. That's my biggest complaint about Daniel Jones. Did he really make everybody that around him that much better? He's at Duke – an ACC school, right? Not We're not talking about FBS. We're talking about ACC school, which isn't the best football conference, with a great quarterback and supposedly this great quarterback's coach offensive mind. They didn't do these great things. He had a losing record. His record was 17-19 and 19 as a starter. That's not, ra- that's not great. He didn't raise the level to the degree that you would like, that I would like, of a quarterback who warrants drafting at this point in the draft. Now, there's some things that you like. I mean, a 37 on the wonder, like I, I speak to people, so they like the quarterbacks to be over 30. And he was really the only one that was in this draft. And uh, actually, I think 
been reported by Bob uh, Bob McGinn. He had him at 37. He had uh, Kyler Murray at 20, apparently. So big difference there. So he had the mental makeup. They like that, right? Uh, good decision maker. That goes into it. What box didn't he check, somebody said? Liked, another person told me. That same person, they liked him, but only in the second round. They had a round two grade on him. So that kind of goes show you. And then, and then you start getting into the negatives. Problem, skill set, pedestrian talent, arm just good enough. Backup was one one person said. Backup. This is what the Giants have now invested their future in. So there's positives and there's negatives, right? And we'll ultimately see how this is going to play out. And look, people have been wrong before on guys. This is a gamble. There's no doubt about it. Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer just risked their legacies and their Giants' careers on Daniel Jones. Because let's be honest, if Daniel Jones doesn't turn into a true franchise quarterback, there's no way Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman are going to be here when the next guy comes in. And by the time that next guy gets any good. All right, that's not going to happen. So they've hitched their wagons onto Daniel Jones. You know, there's some positive and there's some negative. A wide range of evaluations. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I think it was terrible because this is one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. And they went in that direction. It wouldn't have been the direction that I would have gone. Personally, I did like Dwayne Haskins, even though there's questions about him too. I mean, there's no doubt. Dwayne Haskins was not a clean prospect. I mean, I, like I told you, two of the people that I spoke to listed him as fourth on the list of the top four quarterbacks. Someone, let me just, again, empty the notebook. Does he have control of the line? There was questions about that. A lot of lollipop throws. Old school pocket passer concerned uh, about the one only one year. Did, someone didn't like his throwing motion. Lower body. Not enough twitch. His movement's okay. Uh, like like him off the field, serious arm talent, an arm thrower. I think that that was that was something that people people didn't some people didn't love the way he threw threw. Has courage. That's a positive there. His movement was okay. They thought it was good enough. This one person clearly there's a there's a gap between what the public perception is of Dwayne Haskins and people inside the league because. When he misses, he misses high. That's another one. Not going to create. There was There's concerns about Dwayne Haskins. I mean, he ends up going to the Redskins, pick 15, and that, that seems to be who the public wanted, right? The public says that Dwayne Haskins was the pick for the Giants. That should have been their guy. But there was way more concern about Dwayne Haskins, and it has more to do with him as a quarterback, I think, than most people think, most people believe. The Giants went with Jones. We'll ultimately see that Dwayne Haskins now has this big chip on his shoulder. And he gets to play the Giants twice a year. Mark it down, week four. Trust me, Dwayne Haskins already has. It's going to be interesting. And then Drew Locke, he went in the middle of the second round. And I believe the Giants, the, the belief is that it was Jones and Locke. And, you know, Locke, the same thing. A lot of up and downs. There's some people who liked him. Some people he didn't. One person put him as 1B next to Kyler Murray. One person had him fourth out of the four guys. So there's really a pretty wide range on these quarterbacks. And I think you could pretty much 
put him in a, a shaker and come out with a different person every time when you're talking about Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, or Dwayne Haskins. Now, the Giants' cup of tea was Daniel Jones, something that Pat Shermer mentioned. He loved his toughness. That stood out to him. Dave Gettleman loved the makeup. Loved that this guy's going to be in there. He's a hard worker. He mentioned uh, he fell in love with his tape. But to him, and this has become a, a pretty big joke and, and talking point, is that he stayed for the Senior Bowl, which, by the way, is rare. GMs don't stay very often for the Senior Bowl, if ever. Okay? He stays for the Senior Bowl, watches him play three series, and that's when the quote-unquote full bloom love began. That's Gettleman's words. Full bloom love. Three series at the Senior Bowl where he thought he looked like a professional. Now, let me just explain the Senior Bowl for a second. There's a week of practices. The practices usually hold weight over the game. And people usually don't even stay for the entire game. And we're talking about GMs and, and like real, uh, the top decision makers in places. Dave Gettleman stayed, watched it, and came away pretty much smitten with Daniel Jones. I don't think you should be making any uh, great evaluations off the senior ball. It's a game that most GMs don't even want to stay for. They don't care, seem to care about that much. The practices hold way more weight. But that was the clincher, apparently, for Dave Gettleman. Okay. He is now, his, his Giants legacy is staked on Daniel Jones. We'll see ultimately how it turns out. I'm not as down on it as most people. Would it have been the direction that I've went? No. Is it ideal? Is it a slam dunk? They have their next Super Bowl winning quarterback? Absolutely not. There are serious questions about Daniel Jones. I don't love the fact that he didn't raise the level of people around him. His accuracy down the field was a problem. And I'm trying to get off and I'm a, that his arm is pedestrian because when I spoke to people earlier this year, I did a story on what are non-negotiables, non-negotiables in quarterbacks. Arm was really pretty low for most people. Now you have to have some arm. And it seems like he'll probably have enough arm to be successful. So I'm trying to get off that a little bit. I think that that is something that people harp on and I think – that's sort of a little bit out of tune. Like you need to reach a certain level of arm strength and be able to make all the throws. And and most people seem to think that he has that. He doesn't have top level arm talent. That's for that 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 seems to be an agreement. Enough arm talent to be successful. Ultimately, we'll see. Let's run through the rest of the draft real quick, and I'll, I'll give you my my take on each guy. Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle. He went seventeen. Right to from Clemson, uh, the Giants loved him. That's my understanding, and I know Brian Burns went at sixteen one pick before them. I think they actually would have taken Dexter Lawrence over Brian Burns if it came down to it. I, I think that was that was pretty much their guy, and they were going to go that direction once they were into the teens. He was in that second level group with the Rashawn Garys, with the Ed Olivers for them. For the Giants, because I think Ed Oliver was probably in that second level group. Uh, the Devin Bushes. So Brian Burns also in that like sort of level. And so once all those guys went off the board, a Cleveland Farrell, who by the way went four. So once all those guys went off the board, 
I think the Giants were taking Dexter Lawrence. Big physical guy. Here's the problem. He was a two-down player at Clemson for the most part. He's probably going to be a two-down player with the Giants. And defensive tackles, 340-pound guys are not playing 60 snaps a game. But when he's in there, quality player. Can push the pocket a little bit in the pass rush too. A dominator in the run game. Can really get upfield as well. So you like what he brings to the table. You just question a little bit. Nose tackle? 17th overall pick. Those guys usually drop a little bit. Even if he's a version of snacks, is it worth the 17th overall pick? Considering he doesn't really contribute that much in straight nickel pass rush situations, which as we've been told is 60% of the game. So that's a little concerning. And DeAndre Baker, 30th overall, the Giants traded up to get him. Good player, really solid. A lot of people thought he was the best cornerback in the draft uh, all around because of his willingness to tackle, which Greedy Williams did not have. So the Giants went up and traded up for DeAndre Baker. Now, let me tell you the problem with DeAndre Baker and why he was, why he was available at 30. Okay. This has a little bit to do with so- certain teams had him flagged. I mean, this is known out there. I spoke to several teams out there that told me, yeah, he's, uh, character issues. And you hear from people, and these, this is from a pretty, this comes from a pretty good place that he wasn't showing up all the time to his uh, off-season training here, or pre-draft training. So I think that's uh, what you what you could take away with in regards to the character concerns. So there, we'll see. Maybe DeAndre Baker gets in there and really, you know, puts his head down and grinds. But it's something to definitely keep an eye on. As a player, though, real good player. As for value, again, this is where my biggest problem is right now. The Giants traded up. They were 37, they traded up, they gave up assets to get Baker. Okay? The 50-year option that you get from a first-round pick, not quite as valuable on a cornerback. You know, it's not like a quarterback position. The position you trade up and you make sure you get in is quarterback because that 50-year option is just so valuable. And Dave Gettleman starts the draft with 12 picks. That's his only trade of the draft was to move up and get DeAndre Baker. Now, you look at how some of these other teams are operating. The Rams, the Patriots, they're six trades each, each six trades in this draft. They're moving around, collecting picks, collecting future assets. That's that's what I don't like about this. Gettleman moved up for Baker. He didn't use all his picks to the degree that he can. He thinks he could kind of outsmart or outdraft other people. I shouldn't say outsmart. He, he's, he's of this belief that he could outdraft other teams. And I'm of the belief, by the way, this is just my opinion, that you don't really outdraft other teams that much. I mean, it's, it's really not like most teams are, you know, they have every team has hits or misses. And most teams, you know, you could figure out draft successes and failures. And it's a really small difference. A margin margin between a good team and an average team or a bad team is really minimal. Okay? But you want to try and maximize your picks, which they did a good job of this year. They had 12 picks. And you're going to hit and miss, and you, you say you hit 50% of 12. That's a good draft. You have six real decent players. Okay? But if you only have eight picks, then you only get four good players. So you want to maximize your draft capital. And I thought 
they could have done that this year rather than, you know, just straight sit there and take all these players as the board went off later in the draft, turn some of these into future capital, get some more draft picks for next year. I know they're supposed to have a, they'll get a, a, a comp pick for Landon Collins, but they're just, you know, the, the teams that are at the next level, they're operating at a different level, like the Patriots, the, uh, Rams, the Eagles at this point. They're moving up and down and collecting picks and finagling and maximizing value with every pick. And we didn't see that here. Instead, the Giants traded up into the first round, costing them draft capital, got Baker, guy with character concerns. So not thrilled with that move. I like him as a player, but as the move in general, definitely some concern. So next pick, third round, late in the third round, O'Shane Jimenez, a guy who... The Giants like as a pass rusher, uh, really made to be an outside linebacker. They think he uses his hands well. Really good counter moves. Now, he comes from Old Dominion, so it might be a guy that takes a little bit longer to come around. Next fourth-round pick, this is one of my favorite picks. Todd McShay actually called it his favorite pick for the Giants in this draft. Was defensive back Julian Love, kind of like a nickel corner safety kind of guy uh, from Notre Dame. Solid player. Uh, not a great athlete or doesn't, didn't kill the, the combine or anything like that, but just a solid player. A guy that James Betcher I think is going to be able to use successfully throughout the defense. And, uh, he's going to find the role in my opinion this year probably. So Julian Love, fourth round pick. Next, Ryan Connolly, fifth round pick. More of like an inside backer, not necessarily, uh, a cover guy. So that was a little head scratching to me. There was a lot of like speedy cover guys available, but the Giants like about Ryan Connolly. And this, first of all, I had a source tell me something. This was his comment on Ryan Connolly he knows him pretty well. He said, good player, bad body. So he's one of the guys that his instincts stand out. That's what the Giants seem to really like about Ryan Connolly. You know, he'll be a, a special teams contributor. He's going to have to be right away. Uh, so. That's the Ryan Connolly, the linebacker, middle inside linebacker from uh, Wisconsin, but not the doesn't fill that need that they had, which is they needed a speedy cover linebacker. Because right now they have B.J. Goodson and Alec Ogletree in the middle as their two middle linebackers. Neither great in coverage. Tay Davis played a little bit last year, wasn't very good in coverage either. Didn't seem to know what was going on or what he was doing uh, very often. So not exactly filling a need, but we'll see what he turns out as a player. If he's just has that knack for to, to play, maybe he could turn into something decent as a middle linebacker in the future. So Ryan Connolly, that's the their one, two, three, four, five, sixth pick. Their seventh pick was Darius Slayton. Uh he's a speedy wide receiver from Auburn. Guy that can get vertical and get down the field. Uh that's pretty much what he brings to the table. Corey Ballantyne, cornerback from Washburn mentioned earlier. He was shot. Uh, it went out the night after he got drafted uh, in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, got shot. There's hope that it's not anything serious on his end. His friend, unfortunately, uh, got killed in that shooting. Just a terrible story. But Corey Ballantyne's supposed to be a guy with serious skill uh, that some people thought could be a steal for the Giants. We'll see how that plays out. A, a really um, athletic, fast skilled cornerback who was the best player at his level and uh there's you know maybe maybe he could develop into something big and the Giants can get a steal with their sixth round pick 
They're two seventh round picks. George Asafo Ajay, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, from Kentucky, offensive tackle. Giants first offensive lineman in the draft. That's a surprise. And one of the reasons I think they felt like they could go this route, and you hear a lot about it behind the scenes, is they seem pretty sure that they're going to end up, the Giants are going to end up with Mike Rammers. He's, he played with, uh, in Carolina. And so Gettleman knows him well. He played in Minnesota. He's recovering from back surgery. The Giants said they're going to have to bring him back in one more time. But it seems like that's something that eventually is going to happen. So everyone's like, oh, they didn't get an offense. They didn't get a tackle. They didn't get a tackle. It seems like they're going to add a veteran right tackle, and it's going to be Mike Remmers. We'll see what happens with that as we go along here. But that's, that just my my instincts say that that is the way this is headed. Uh, so Big George out of Kentucky was their first of two seventh-round picks. And Chris Slayton from Syracuse, a de- defensive tackle, uh, sort of big guy uh, that never really lived up to his potential maybe at Syracuse. But uh, the Giants are hoping that they can get something out of that seventh-round pick as well. We'll get into the undrafted guys in a future episode. So that's the Giants draft class 2019 led by Daniel Jones. I know you're all thrilled. So on to the next one. It's time now for your favorite segment of this podcast. It's the part where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. All right. At Will Presti asked me, now that the dust has settled, no OT until 232 when the Giants had the worst right tackle play in the NFL. DT at number two. Defensive tackle number two, when defensive tackle is already a strength. Second fewest sacks in NFL, no edge until 95, question mark. And three cornerbacks when we have two viables already. Okay, now, take these one by one. I think you're overrating the Giants, by the way. So, let's start. Offensive tackle until 232. I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. Everything seems to be... Leaning towards Mike Remmers landing with the Giants. Or depending on health-wise, if everything goes as planned, it seems like that's where this is going. So maybe it's a different view if you look at it that way. Now, I agree. They still need those, – those would be two, you know, over 30 offensive tackles. I think Remmers is over 30. But still, those are not your offensive tackles of the future. So the Giants are going to need to address that position, and they're going to need to do it soon. Uh, I just think the way the board played out, it just didn't work out for them where they had guys where they liked them. And so they end up not taking guy until the seventh round. As for a defensive tackle at number 17 when defensive tackle is already a strength, I will say this. I disagree with that assessment that defensive tackle was already a strength. I do not think they're loaded at defensive tackle. You need to play five or six guys. You need to have a big rotation. They don't even have a real difference maker at the position, if you ask me. Dalvin Tomlinson, he's okay. Decent player. B.J. Hill, decent player who proved, who, who showed last year, flashed that he, up, upside that he could be more than that. But right now, they don't have anyone who's more than a decent player. So they've got to start three defensive linemen. So I don't think they're loaded at, at defensive line. I mean, the other guys were what? Uh, Olsen Pierre on their roster? And uh, R.J. McIntosh, who was a draft pick from last year, who really don't have a, a real gauge on whether he could be a real 
significant player in this league. So I don't think this, they're so loaded and it's a, the defensive line was already a strength for this team. I disagree with that assessment. So that's why I think Dexter Lawrence does fit in. Second few of sacks in the NFL, no edge until 95. I don't, again, I don't think the board played out right for them in order for them to get that guy. And I know people say Montez Sweat was still there, right? In my opinion, and from what I've, you know, heard and been told, I think Montez Sweat was probably flagged for them. I really do. There were things about Montez Sweat that had teams concerned, A, health-wise, and B, background-wise. So I don't think Montez Sweat was really an option for the Giants in the first round. So that pass rusher really wasn't there. And then they didn't make a second-round pick, which I mentioned before. So there was, And then they took one of their next pick in the third round. So I think that's kind of how it played out. And three CBs when we have two viables already. Well, who are the two viables? What am I missing here? I mean, is Sam Beal a viable? Guy hasn't played an NFL snap. I mean, the only cornerback on the roster coming into this draft that you know is an, a real NFL player and a, a real starting NFL player at that position is Janaris Jenkins. You hope that Grant Haley showed enough last year where he can grow into something more, and he's a you know slot guy. Uh, maybe you counted him as a viable, uh, but that's no slam dunk. I mean, the jury's still out on Grant Haley, too. He's got to prove it. He had a decent rookie year, but by no means are you looking at, oh, we're set at cornerback. We have Grant Haley. We, we, we don't have to worry about the cornerback position, so. Uh, I, I, I had a different view on some of those things than you did now. All right. Next question. Elaine Holmes, L Holmes says, how long will Maris stay with Gettleman until they realize the error of their ways? I will say this about Dave Gettleman and it goes with Pat Shermer too. Okay. They have some leeway here in the fact that they were basically allowed to pseudo rebuild at least, right? Remember they, Ownership signed off on them getting rid of Odell Beckham. And now they just drafted their future franchise quarterback. So it's going to take a little time before we really see the fruits of those moves. Now, if it's a total disaster this year, they might be in trouble. But otherwise, I think they bought themselves some time. I mean, with those two moves, I I don't see... How you look at it any other way and say, you know, they're not at least in, you know, uh, setting themselves up for the future. It's not about just now. Like they, all they need is mediocrity now or even something close to mediocrity. Just need anything actually aside from a, a total disaster, which is what you could have said about Ben McAdoo. This is why I don't want to close the door and say, no, they're safe. They're going to get at least two more years. Because look at Ben McAdoo. He went 11-5 and five in his first year and was fired before the next year even ended. One of the craziest things I've seen. So, uh, Jason Silberman, J.M. Silberman says, do you think the early fan reaction to this draft, particularly the pick at six, and following the Odell trade shortens the time Gettleman will have for the Giants to succeed by ownership? Or will they be patient? I'm sorry, I just answered that question. So, uh, you know now that my feeling on that is that yes, they have bought themselves a little more time, barring that disaster. So, Dylan Davis, Dilly Willie 15 says, do you think the Giants hang on to Tanny or Loletta, or do you think they'll just be Eli and Jones? That's an interesting question. That's why I picked it. 
I thought that was a pretty interesting question. And Pat Shermer said in the past he likes to have three quarterbacks. So I would think they keep a third quarterback. And considering Loletta was drafted by this organization, and to cut him one year later would be something, I'm leaning towards saying Loletta might end up staying there. But then again, they kept Tanny last year. Now, that was a different situation because they didn't want to put Loletta in the game, and they thought Tatani was actually a better option if they had to bring in a backup, especially in the middle of a game. But sure hope that Kyle Loletta can win the third quarterback job this summer. We'll see. Clearly the Giants are down on him a little bit. They weren't very happy with what they saw last year. Uh, he got arrested for his driving, and they just didn't like what they saw on the field either, and I could understand that didn't look great on the field in training camp or practices so uh yeah there's gonna be a battle a third quarterback battle who makes the roster the other thing to note is they might like tanny again to be the backup because they don't think that daniel jones is ready to be the backup and they don't want to put that pressure on eli that could be ultimately what gets loletta bumped out so i think they keep one but we're going to see which one it is justin palmer says how long will ownership put up with lie after lie from their GM? DG has done nothing to their fan but let the fan base down in the past year. I bleed blue, but I'm done with the lies Gettleman keeps spewing. Yeah, uh, look, he goes up there to the podium, and it's like a variety show. Okay? It's like he's trying to perform and give everyone these good quips and lines, and everyone's looking at it like, you know, what is coming out of his mouth? You just shouldn't be saying that about this guy, about that guy. You know, I know for a fact two teams were going to trade up and select, or not trade up, but two teams were going to select Daniel Jones. You know, it doesn't really look that way. And I've poked around and talked to people around the league. I kind of, I doubt that. And just, just everything. I mean, even little things he's been, he's just, he's just a showman at that podium and it's, it's been backfiring. He's making himself a huge target. The whole senior bowl thing where he said he fell in full bloom love. I mean, that's just an easy thing for people to pick at. And the reason that this exists is because it's a bad franchise, right? It happens with the Raiders. It's right. Everyone's just making jokes and about the Raiders and the Giants. Do you sense, do you sense anything similar there? When you're bad, you're putting yourself in these positions. So the Giants are bad and they're opening themselves up for people to just keep piling on. And piling on. And Dave Gettleman's up there saying silly things. So they're piling on more and more and more. And yeah, eventually ownership's gonna, gonna reach its wits end on that if it keeps happening. But there's two solutions to it. Number one is winning. Okay? And number two is not saying the stupid things. So we'll, we'll see if they could do both of those. Or at least one of those. In the meantime, I think ownership is fully on board. They think everyone outside the building is crazy. And uh, all the criticism is pretty much unwarranted. Ali Sina. Ali S. I don't even know. Curban. Okay, says, when do you think we'll see Daniel Jones play this year if he does it all? I do think we're going to see Daniel Jones play this year. Now, I think there was an over-under out there. It's uh, six and a half or seven and a half games. Whatever it was between the Patriots game and the Cardinals game. Okay, will we see Daniel Jones before 
that game. And the Patriots game is a Thursday night game. So they'll have 10 days off until they play the Cardinals in MetLife Stadium. So that seems like an ideal spot. So Vegas, again, always smart. Now, I'm going to take the over on that because the Giants are not going to just sit Eli Manning, okay? And they have to start off like junk in order for Daniel Jones to get in the game before, you know, in, in place of Eli Manning. Or he has to get injured, which he's never done in his career. So I'm not going to bet on the fact that Eli Manning is going to get injured, right? Dude is, is made of, like, a silly putty. It's just unbelievable. But uh, I do think later in the year, because I'm not anticipating this to be a great year, and I'm not anticipating Eli to have his bounce-back year at age 38, okay? I don't see that. I see him stumbling around, some good, some bad, not good enough, and then eventually they're going to say, okay, we got to give this kid some opportunities. Remember, it wasn't that long ago the Giants – it was a long time ago. I shouldn't say that. The Giants got a quarterback. His name was Eli Manning. Okay? This young, hotshot kid, he really was the number one pick. The Giants traded for him. Okay? The Giants, I believe, were 5-4. and four, whatever, whatever it was, 5-4, and 6-5. They had a winning record. And Kurt Warner was the starting quarterback at the time. They were willing, it was that important for them at the time to make sure that Eli Manning got experience and played, that they made the switch to him, even though they were still in playoff contention. They basically threw the playoffs out in 2004. They said, playoffs, get the hell out of here. Okay? We're going to dedicate this season to making sure our young quarterback gains experience. So I'd be surprised if the Giants at some point, some point, I get, it's a little different because Kurt Warner, while a legendary quarterback, wasn't a legendary quarterback for the Giants. Eli Manning is a legendary quarterback for the Giants. And as we've learned, pulling the plug on Eli Manning has been a very, very difficult thing for this Giants organization. But, but, at some point this year, I think they're finally going to have to do it, say, in the last six six weeks of the season. Rich Politano, 21, says, which late-round pick do you think has the potential to make the biggest impact of the team? He considers these fifth- to seventh-round picks. Uh, so I'm going to go with – that's a tough one. I probably would have went with Corey Ballantyne. And we don't really know now what the situation is. I'm going to stick with him saying that hopefully – He's healthy and he comes back and it, it seems like, you know, it, it's not overly serious with him at this time. Uh, but I, I thought that's a position they desperately need. Cornerback. He's talented. He's come, he might be coming from a small school, but that talent may be enough for him to come in and contribute because it's not like they have so much talent at that position. It's not like they're so loaded at cornerback. No, there's room for Corey Ballantyne. If he recovers to make an impact. And hopefully he does. Final one. Uh I let's see. Oh, did I cut off his Warnos from Instagram asks, could you please say a few words to the folks out there who had extreme overreactions to the Jones pick? Wasn't my first choice either, but I think it's time to get on board with this kid or go root for the Jets. Hey, Warnos, let me say this. You're right in to a degree. The, you know, everyone, hey, the, the overreaction, the, the anger, that's fine. But if you're a Giant fan, you kind of have to come around to Daniel Jones. You really do. You really do. Because ultimately, 
This is their future franchise quarterback. You're not going to go out there and root for him to suck, right? You're just not going to do that. You're go- you you want to see him succeed. You don't want to see this organization go through like uh, you know if they if he doesn't work out, they got to go there and find the quarterback. We're talking about another like five years before they're any good. Saquon will basically be old. I mean, so you, you don't want to get to that point. You got to come on board. It's not like he was a seventh round draft pick that the Giants are trotting out there as your future franchise quarterback. He was going to be a first round pick by somebody. Yes, he probably was drafted a little higher than you wanted or than most people thought he would be. But he's going to be your quarterback. He's the Giants successor right now to Eli Manning. So you want to get on board as a Giant fan and hope that this is the guy who is your next franchise quarterback for what? Eli Manning's been there for what? 16 years? For the next 16 seasons. Just like Eli Manning was. And you win multiple Super Bowls with him. So you can complain about the pick. You cannot like it. But at some point, as a Giant fan, you're probably going to have to come around and hope that, hey, this guy turns out to be the real deal. And he's better than Dwayne Haskins because otherwise the Giants are in trouble. If they whiffed and Dwayne Haskins turns out to be a stud, they're going to be watching Dwayne Haskins in Washington, right? They're going to be watching, um, I almost called him Mark Sanchez, Sam Darnold with the Jets. And guess what? Those are two guys the Giants passed on. And they're going to be compared to, Daniel Jones is going to be compared to them for a long time. And they better hope they got it right. They better hope because they could have had either of those two guys. And like I said, that's what it comes down to in the end. It's all going to come down to Dave Gettleman's evaluation and Pat Shermer, their evaluation of Daniel Jones. And we'll see how that turns out. Who knows? On to the next one. All right. Let's turn now to a little Jordan on the beat. That's where I tell you what it's like to be a beat writer or uh, someone who covers the NFL or the Giants, and give you little stories about kind of what goes on. So let's kind of pull back the curtain here on the draft buildup, the draft lead-up, right? Now let me tell you, the draft is a crazy beast. Nobody really, it's hard to 100% know what's going on, because you get like these little cookie crumbs, right, left all over the place from all different angles, and you're trying, you're trying desperately to figure out what's right and what's wrong, and you're just collecting so much and you're deciding what you think is true and what isn't. And sometimes, you know, I heard a lot, you know, heard from multiple angles. Yo, they like Daniel Jones. They like Drew Locke. 1A and 1B in, in no particular order. I, I didn't know. But those are the two quarterbacks that they like. Going to get one of those two. And, you know, I, uh, you're, you're kind of trying to piece it together. You think, all right, Drew Locke, he probably has – the bigger upside, he, you know, maybe they have him probably the the number one. He has the big arm, and the you know he make he can make those all those throws. Uh, but you're just listening, and you're listening to people. And I had two people that I remember right now that said one person called me and said or, or reached out to me and said, "Yo, I spoke to somebody, and they said to me, they spoke to Gettleman. He's smitten. He's in love." With Daniel Jones, right? He's going to take. He think he thinks he's going to take him at six. Nobody knows for sure. Uh, nobody, like Dave Gettleman's not telling anybody for sure. Like, oh, I'm taking that guy at six. 
Right. So this doesn't work that way. You kind of talk to people about who you like, who you don't like, and then everyone tried pieces it together. Where, you know, maybe they'll pick that guy. Are they going to pick that guy? And then someone else tell me, yo, I'm telling you, I think they're going to take Daniel Jones at six. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't convince myself that that was the case. And then I heard from somebody else and said, yo, uh, nah, Locke's their guy. Yeah, I heard, I heard from this person, you know, Locke's their guy. Or, uh, you know, Steve Tisch, so, you know, you, you saw this out there. Steve Tisch said Locke's going to be his guy. You know, and so you're just piecing it together. And you're like, eh, maybe, maybe not. And you're trying to decide what to believe and what not to believe. And to be honest with you, I didn't know which guy was 1A and 1B. I didn't know which one was 1 and which one was 2. No idea. Okay? Now, I made a educated guesstimate. Right? And ultimately, I was wrong on this one. Didn't believe the right people. But that's kind of how it works in regards to the, the build-up and lead-up to the draft. There's so many people telling you stuff. And so many people sort of rumor-mongering and gossiping. And you're trying to ignore all this. And you're trying to figure out what's actually true and what's rumor and what's just people chatting. And what's complete BS. And that's how you, you know the, the whole lead-up to the draft goes. And so I had someone that now I know I should trust. He tells me, yeah, I'm telling you, this person spoke to Gettleman. He's in love with him. They're going to take lock. They're going to take, uh, sorry, Jones at six. Should have listened to that person, but I didn't. I didn't. <clears throat> I listened to a couple other people and, uh, you mark it down in your notebook and you kind of keep track. I keep track of, of what evaluators tell me what and sort of how they do. And I trust, and, and, and I trust certain people. At, when we're talking about player evaluations, at more at certain positions, more than maybe I trust them on other positions. Like they're not as good at this position, maybe like I, my my past experiences with them, but they're dynamite with this position, right? They nail always nail quarterbacks. They don't nail offensive linemen. So now I, the next year, I know I li- I listen to what they say, but I don't put it at the top of my list of who I'm going to trust in regards to that specific opinion, maybe on that position. So with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on the ESPN app. For sure, get the ESPN app. Make sure you listen to this podcast. Every single one, tell your friends. Okay, now we're really going to get into the off-season stuff. So hopefully we're going to pile up some good interviews over these next couple months and uh, we're going to keep everybody intrigued. And we're keep everyone entertained because that's the whole purpose of this, right? This is entertainment. So let's have fun with it. And then uh, feel free to reach out to me anywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, don't call my phone, uh, wherever. And I'll try and answer all your questions. I do my best on that. And with that, that's the end of this episode. The post-draft episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN. ESPN.com Giants reporter. See you next time.